It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station. KVMR-FM Nevada City. KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Tonight, the Racial Reckoning Journalism Initiative provides another update on the Derek Chauvin trial. The California Report profiles efforts to vaccinate vulnerable Latino populations in Merced County. Then, after regional news and weather, Paul Emery talks with hydrogeologist Steve Baker about how climate change may affect water rights. We'll close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Georgia Fort with today's update. The Minneapolis Chief of Police, Madeira Arredondo, testified Monday afternoon denouncing the actions of former police officer Derek Chauvin. That is not part of our policy. That is not what we teach, and uh, that should be condoned. Arredondo's the first African-American to serve as chief of the Minneapolis Police Department. He was appointed to the position following the abrupt resignation of the previous chief who stepped down after Officer Mohammed Noor shot and killed a white woman in 2017. During Chief Arredondo's testimony, he went on to share how Chauvin's actions did not align with MPD's ethics. Did you see the defendant or any of the officers attempt to provide first aid to Mr. Floyd? I did not see any of the defendants attempt to provide first aid to Mr. Floyd. Uh, the defendant violated our policy in terms of rendering aid. Arredondo also stated that in most situations, a counterfeit $20 bill is not an arrestable offense. The chief was released from the stand after nearly four hours of testimony. He was followed by Commander Kate Blackwell, who was in charge of training at MPD. Is this a trained technique by the Minneapolis Police Department when you were uh, overseeing the training unit? It is not. Why not? What we train is using one arm or two arm to do a, a neck restraint. And how does this differ? I don't know what kind of improvised position that is. George Floyd's brothers were both in the courtroom Monday, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Meanwhile, the chair set aside for Derek Chauvin's family has been removed due to lack of use. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Georgia Ford. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As the L.A. Unified School District prepares to open for in-person learning next week, the country's second largest school system wants to get many family members of students vaccinated. And school superintendent Austin Butner says the district is ready to help with that. Providing vaccinations for families with children in schools is the single most important thing we can do to get more children back in school classrooms. To help address the issue of vaccine access, Los Angeles Unified will be opening 25 school-based vaccination centers to help the families we serve. Butner says the hope is to get shots into the arms of family members in the communities hardest hit by COVID-19, where access to vaccinations can also be a challenge. The district is staggering the opening of schools next week, with kindergarten and first graders beginning on Tuesday.
And the LA Unified also announced yesterday that it will provide teachers and employees a monthly $500 stipend to help them with childcare needs as they return to schools. Full-time employees will receive the subsidy for every child that's five years old and younger. United Teachers Los Angeles, the union representing teachers in the district, raised concerns last month about childcare needs when it was announced that instructors would be returning to teach students in person. Teachers unions in California have been pushing for such help as many daycare facilities have raised their prices while reducing capacity during the pandemic. In immigration news, two Southern California lawmakers are in the congressional delegation that's touring border facilities in Texas where unaccompanied migrant children are being housed. Inland Empire Congresswoman Norma Torres and Orange County Representative Lou Correa, both Democrats, were briefed yesterday by Biden administration officials about efforts to properly care for children at those sites. Correa, speaking at a news conference last night, says the issues at the border are not something new. Putting politics aside, let me say that we have not addressed the root cause of this issue. I was in the state Senate 10 years ago, and I did exactly what I did today in California 10 years ago. This issue has been going on for 20, 30 years. Congressman Correa says the situation is getting better, particularly when it comes to living conditions for children. Republicans who have visited the facilities have accused the Biden administration of hiding conditions there. Support for the California report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health, and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. As California attempts to prioritize vaccinating poor and immigrant communities across the state, so-called community ambassadors are crucial to that effort. CAP Radio's Scott Rod introduces us to one such ambassador in Merced County in the San Joaquin Valley. Arturo Barajas started playing mariachi music over 30 years ago when he moved to Merced, where he's provided the soundtrack for generations of Mexican-Americans marking life's milestones. The music is the glue of our people. Mariachi music, in reality, is in every facet of life, whether it be the celebration of a baptism or the celebration of a girl's 15th birthday. These days, Arturo plays mostly funerals, usually two a week, and the deadly pandemic hasn't spared his loved ones. The music director that I had, he passed away from COVID a month and a half ago. My own brother passed away a month ago, more or less. Latinos make up less than 40% of California's population, but account for more than half of the state's COVID-19 cases. Merced County, which has a large immigrant and agricultural community, has been hit especially hard. But the state's efforts towards equity have barely moved the needle. Now, it's directing 40% of vaccine doses to underserved communities, and local clinics and residents are doing much of the legwork to reach those in need. Come in. I catch Dr. Rodrigo de Zubria on his lunch break. 
He's the chief medical officer at Castle Family Health Centers. The state has been very slow in the release of the vaccine. Pretty much everything that we get is gone you know, within a few days. He's confident supply will start to increase, but that's only one challenge. It's been a struggle to reach farm and food plant workers, and not everyone in the community trusts the vaccine. Castle has organized social media campaigns, and it's depending on individual patients, like Ricardo Juarez, who works at a nearby almond plant. He's sitting in the waiting room before his first dose. My idea of getting, of course, was for my health and the health of the people I love around me. He also hopes it will sway some of his coworkers. Because a lot of people in my job, they don't actually know the real information about it. And it's just people that believe what other people tell them. Local clinics are also relying on what they call promotoras, people with deep connections in the Latino community. Arturo Barajas, the mariachi musician, is one of them. He's helped hundreds of agricultural workers get immunized. I just tell them, you know, for the well-being of your whole family, you need to get the shot. And you need to really, really put your faith in God and put your faith in science. As we walk through downtown Merced, his community connections are on display. We stop by a music store, and the manager's wife works at the same school where Arturo teaches guitar. The manager doesn't hesitate when Arturo asks to borrow a guitar off the wall. De colores. Let me get my mask off. <laughs> De colores se visten los campos en la primavera. Last month, Arturo helped organize a vaccine drive for farm workers in the nearby town of Planada. He came with his guitar and serenaded the nurses administering shots and the laborers waiting in line. It was a new occasion among life's milestones worthy of mariachi music, and one that might help Arturo avoid playing more funerals down the road. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Merced County. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, April 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Nevada County announced today that after only two weeks in the red tier, it has once again met the metrics for the purple tier meaning COVID-19 is widespread and case rates are increasing. Although the county will remain in the red tier this week, it will likely return to the purple tier on Wednesday, April 13th. Quote, When we say the virus is widespread in our community, we mean just that. It's everywhere, said Nevada County Public Health Director Jill Blake. We're seeing it in schools, workplaces, social settings, and businesses. The virus continues to be transmitted through unmasked gatherings, whether that's in a restaurant, a bar, a workplace, or a private home, end quote. County officials say the increase in cases here is likely due to local, organized opposition to public health prevention methods, particularly in western Nevada County. According to the Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard, today, sadly, Nevada County recorded its first COVID-related death since January of this year. Total case count as of today is 4,361. Taking a look at regional weather, 
in Nevada City and Grass Valley. Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 44. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 66. In the Truckee and Lake Tahoe area, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 30. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 57. And in the valley, Woodland and Sacramento will be mostly clear tonight with a low around 47. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 74. Facing drought and the threat of scarcity it may bring, California officials are considering changes to the state's water rights permitting system. Paul Emery talks with hydrogeologist Steve Baker about it in this week's Water News. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Welcome back, Steve. Um, reality has has it that we are in the second year of a drought and boy these droughts can get if they're extended can get pretty difficult for many i was wondering if there are any new tools being considered to manage these more frequent circumstances uh, that seem to be uh, need to be more effectively managed yeah good question i'm i'm not hearing a lot about new tools But I am noticing a lot of efforts being made right now to improve existing tools. And one of those, and it's probably one of the most important ones, is the, uh, and it happens in what is used in the Western states, and it's our water rights system. California manages our surface water, in other words, the water that flows on the land's surface. That is managed according to the prior appropriate doctrine. That's, we've talked about it before. That's first in time, first in right. If you've been using it, you know, since 1900, and you were the first one, then today you also be the first one to use it from a specific diversion point for a specific maximum amount. And um, it, it becomes really important when there's not enough water around. That's when really the, the strength of this type of doctrine uh, is, is necessary, is needed. And as you would expect, seniority in the system is king. Uh, Gary Pitzer, he wrote a super article in the Western Water Magazine on what California is doing right now to adapt the current water rights system. And guess what's in the center? Center stage is climate change. It's, it's a big deal. It's becoming the game changer. And that has motivated our state of California to consider a lot of foundational uh, historic uh, legislation. So it appears that climate change has kind of thrown a wrench in the whole thing. Mm. And what specifically is influencing uh, changes in our water rights system? California climates no longer it no longer follows that historic timing and the volumes of the state's yearly water supply. Uh, we have 40 million people living here and it's growing. This is very different from the past. Everybody needs water on a daily basis. It's always been that way, and that that continues. And I don't know if you realize this, but the fluctuations, you know, from year to year of of precipitation uh, that comes to California, it it fluctuates more here than any other state in our nation. It could be anywhere from 50% of the long-term average to 200% of that long-term average. It's, It's a huge band. Uh, variability. And of course, commerce and enterprise, it totally depends on the availability of water. You know, there will be times when we don't have enough water 
to provide to all the existing water right holders. And that causes a problem. And in particular, that's really scary for the senior water right holders. They're not used to not getting that water. They're usually first in line. So the future of water in our state really, truly is becoming a little more uncertain. Well, exactly. What kinds of change, what kind of changes uh, is the state considering? The State Water Resource Control Board just put out a report that outlines 12 different recommendations where they have considered, you know, the climate change data. And uh, that would affect, according to them, only the new permits, not the existing water right permits. One recommendation was to significantly expand the stream gauge networks and collect a lot more data. One, one of the weaknesses now, the shortcomings in the current system is you don't have enough data. And so this would correct that. And, you know, it can cost some money, as, as you would expect, but it, it becomes necessary. They, they recognize that peak flows, in other words, those maximum flows that happen during big events, they, they need to divert that water. And it's important to do that because we're diverting it to not only our above-ground reservoirs, but also now groundwater aquifers. It's really important. And interestingly, the new recommendations, they're, they're not they're not even attempting to change anything with the existing permits, but those who have permits already, those who have the senior priorities, the water rights and others, they still feel like they're threatened because once you start opening up Pandora's box, anything can happen. And that's their, their attitude. So they're, they're pretty dancy about it. In my view, you know, these circumstances that we're stepping up with uh, against are really are very real. And the concern is that if that pond of water out there isn't big enough to satisfy our collective appetites, then everyone's going to be taking the hit. And that includes your senior people as well as your more junior water right people. Okay, well, how does that affect us up here in the foothills? Well, potentially, I think in a very big way. I mean, look out NID, Nevada Irrigation District, look out Placer County Water Agency, El Dorado Irrigation District, a lot of senior water rights are held by these these groups. And there is a, a stronger push, in, in my view now, that the public trust doctrine and the prior appropriative doctrine, and uh, those, those two approaches, those doctrines may clash. These are big questions, Steve. They are. Yeah. They are. Anyway, thank you. Thank you very much. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. You can hear the extended version of that conversation on kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up, Mark Cunaberti shares an opinion. Welcome to another edition of Your Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. The damage from COVID-19 in both economic terms and human lives is tragic. The economic devastation hoisted upon the world's economies by the COVID shutdowns is unprecedented. It is no secret that I've been against shutdowns from the onset of the virus and have written about such and talked about it on many of my radio shows and in news articles. My standpoint was not based on the debate of the use of masks or how deadly the virus was or is. In fact, I stand more in line with the majority on these two points 
point. However, in reality, no one really knows the effectiveness of masks or the true lethality of the virus. That is a contentious statement to say the least, but truthfully, both sides of both arguments have their scientific backing. In addition, it is not possible to go back in time and try the other way on any of this. So goes another impossible experiment in an alternative universe where we try it with no masks and no shutdowns. But my support of not shutting down the economy was based on the realization that much more damage, both economically and in human toll, would be caused with the shutdowns. This statement will once again undoubtedly spawn hot debate, but look no farther than the latest article out by Scott W. Atlas, whose resume is longer than this newscast. His top honors, and there are many, include senior fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, as well as chief professor and head of neuroradiology there. He served as a senior healthcare advisor to several presidential candidates in 2008-2012 and 2016, and was a member of the nominating committee for the Nobel Peace Prize in Medicine and Physiology. Comparing the death and sickness toll of the masses' shutdowns, he lays out his case against shutdowns based on the same criteria I detailed in many of my previous articles and radio shows, mainly that the death toll from the shutdowns is far greater, or will be, than the virus itself. In his article, Science, Politics, and COVID, Will Truth Prevail?, written February 2021, he states that between 750,000 and 1 million cancer cases may have gone and will go undetected due to patients not getting checkups or screenings due to COVID fears. An untold number of children will suffer from suicide, depression, drug addiction, gang involvement, domestic violence, poor education, and more from the social isolation of being out of school. Adult domestic violence has skyrocketed, as well as drug abuse, depression, more suicide, and similar maladies. The Center for Disease Control has reported fourfold increases in depression, threefold in anxiety, and twice the number of suicide ideation among young adults. Child abuse, most often reported from school observation, has undoubtedly gone unattended while schools have been out. The National Bureau of Economic Research states a 3% increase in the future mortality rate and a 0.5% drop in life expectancy due to unemployment and the lockdowns. No doubt suicides may rise and more marriages will blow apart due to the financial stresses of the shutdown and subsequent shuttered businesses. In the U.S. alone, forecasts from the University of Santa Cruz show nearly 317,000 businesses closed between February and September that works out to about 1,500 business closures a day. Multiple prognostications on skyrocketing starvation is also hitting the news wires. More than 130 million people more could go hungry in 2020, said Arif Hussein, chief economist at the World Food Program, a United Nations agency. Even more frightening is a statement from David Beasley, the executive director of the World Food Program, where he warned in June we could see 300,000 people die a day for several months if we don't handle this situation right. As a Result of the global shutdowns. In conclusion, many argue the shutdowns and masks were necessary and may still be, and that without them, the death and sickness toll would be higher. But much like the forecasts I stated above, those forecasts are just that forecasts and guesses based on a variety of methodologies and theories. No one, I repeat, no one can say for sure what would have happened had the global authorities taken another path. What we do know for sure is the impact from COVID 19 has been horrific. Whether humankind made it worse by shutting down the planet is and always will be an unknown. To this analyst, however, the numbers sure do look like we made some huge mistakes.
That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed herein are my opinions only and may not reflect those of this station, its staff, members, or underwriters. I hold a BA with honors in economics from SDSU 1979, and Money Matters is featured on 66 stations nationwide, and I am a financial columnist for a variety of newspapers. My website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California insurance license OL34249, and I'm a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for tonight, April 6th, 2021. We get support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And Mountain Recreation, offering brand name, outdoor apparel, sporting equipment, and rentals. Retailing paddleboards, kayaks, hiking gear, and more. Locally owned, open daily on East Main Street in Grass Valley since 2000. MTNREC.com Stay with us. Educationally Speaking is next, and at 7 p.m., Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. Have a good evening, and stay safe.